and... This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Is it possible for saints to be seduced? That's a question that looms over our heads because Jesus said the day or two days before his crucifixion as he was with his disciples on the Mount of Olives when they asked him, Master, what will be the sign of your coming into the end of the age? And the first thing he said was, Take heed that no man deceive you. Then again, in Matthew 24, called the Olivet Discourse, uh, Jesus repeated the warning and it said many would come in his name and deceive many. Then again... He didn't finish there, but concluded in that chapter warning that the deception would be so great, the seduction of a counterfeit gospel would be so great that if it were possible, even the very small remnant elect would be deceived. Now that sounds like it would be of great significance for you and for me if we profess the name of Christ knowing that all the warnings of Scripture are to professing believers. So today we're going to deal with a subject that seldom is dealt with in the way that we're going to deal with it here today. You see, we're going to use the term social-isms. We're not talking about socialism as a political entity and a political idea or ideology. We're going to talk about the social isms of our time, the social isms versus the gospel. And so I hope that you'll stay tuned. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation with ever increasing conviction is always truth that transforms I trust. And as you know, it's the nature of isms to convert a nugget of truth into, you might say, a full-fledged gospel. And by identifying and embracing that nugget of truth, The human mind and heart then finds it very easy to embrace and justify all kinds of perversions and departures from the original truth. In other words, constructing our own alternatives. Sometimes those departures are subtle, but oftentimes they're very dramatic. But they're always seductive, always seductive. And the departures from truth are seductive precisely because there is within each one of us a certain unspoken will to be deceived. Now, you may not like to hear that, but it is true. If it were not true, Jesus would not have had to warn all believers of the deception coming upon the earth. He wouldn't have to warn us about the seduction. The apostles, Peter and John and Paul, warned about the seduction. They warned about the great falling away before the introduction of a counterfeit Christ known as the Antichrist, the son of perdition. They warned about that. Why? Because they knew that it was going to be a very, very troublesome time. Whether you want to call it tribulation or not is not the point. Jesus said, in the world you're going to have tribulation, so be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. 
Now, we're not talking about what is called the Great Tribulation here. That's perhaps the last three years, three and a half years of a period of time known as the 70th week of Daniel, uh, in which the counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist, the imposter, reveals himself to be who he really is and marches into a rebuilt temple and declares himself God. Then all hell will break loose, like in the French Revolution, with the great terror that took over France, resulting in hundreds and hundreds of heads falling to Madame Guillotine and blood coursing through the streets of Paris. Well, something similar to that is going to happen. But that is not the wrath of God. That is the wrath of man. Revealed satanically, Satan invests himself in humankind that is at war with God and seeks to destroy those who have embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, or even Orthodox Jews who are seeking to walk at least in the measure of what they understand of biblical truth. So you have anti-Semitism on the one hand, and you have massive persecution on the other hand. But today we want to take a look, a more refined look, at this subject of the social isms. Now, it may be important for you to understand, if you did not listen to yesterday's program, you probably ought to go back and listen to it. Because I was interviewing a Vatican insider, so much of an insider that since the age of about 18, he had been in Rome, had been trained in Rome, had uh, fraternized with the Pope and uh, with numerous popes, actually six popes, and indeed had been involved on several continents with regard to the Vatican, which, by the way, he clearly distinguished from the Roman Catholic Church itself. Now, you need to understand that. He distinguished the Vatican as a geopolitical entity, a state, from the Roman Catholic Church. And many of you who have been listening to this program know that on this program that we, ha we have sought to distinguish between the papacy and the Vatican itself. You see, the Pope is, in fact, the virtual dictator of the smallest political state in the world, and yet some people would say arguably the most powerful. But this insider, Vatican insider, made it very clear that the increasing move of the Roman Catholic Church through the papacy, the Vatican's move, is what he called the new humanism. In fact, uh, Pope Francis has spoke directly about the new humanism over and over again. As I would interview and talk, uh, we had a very wonderful conversation uh, yesterday, and he said that he would be willing to come back on again, but Monsignor Franco uh, made it very clear about the trajectory of the, shall we say, mission and purpose of the church, i.e. the Vatican, 
toward global humanism. Global humanism. Now, is that a problem? Or is that a good thing? Is it biblical or is it not biblical? It's very difficult for many people to comprehend or distinguish or discern what is really going on here. So on the program today, we're going to talk about that. And we're not talking just about uh, the papacy. We're not talking just about uh, Pope Francis. We're talking about a concept called social isms, which has been called humanism. For years, decades now, we've heard people mock or criticize humanism, humanism versus Christianity. But what if Christianity adopts humanism? Then what? Have we been seduced? Stay tuned. This is Viewpoint. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. What are social isms? Well, they're isms, they're beliefs, they're systems. All isms are. Are we still connected? Unbelievable. We have a massive electrical storm that has come through. I hope it hasn't completely destroyed your ability to hear, and we'll just continue. In fact, you might actually analogize to what is happening in our world as the incoming of an electrical storm that is shattering our ability uh, to hear truth and uh, then to supply an alternative in the process. And that is exactly what happens with humanisms. Social isms are all rooted in our outlook on the world that places man at the center of the universe. And this is what troubled me as I listened to Monsignor uh, Franco yesterday here as we discussed his book dealing with six popes and his history of uh, 60 years, over 60 years, as a Vatican insider, now representing the Vatican there at the UN. In fact, the very interview that we did was from his position there in New York at the UN. But what is the UN about? The UN is not about Christianity. It's about humanism. And it's about forms of government that actually facilitate the pursuit of man rather than God. So humanism is a way of thinking about man 
humankind and his place of the earth. Humanists, whether they're religious or secular, emphasize this present life rather than the hereafter. So man becomes the center of the humanist universe. This is exactly, friends, what is happening all over the world, particularly the Western world. This is the nature of the move, the inexorable move, toward the new world order, toward globalism. Globalism is about humanism being linked, that is the focus of man, not God, being linked with government. So government then replaces God to help humankind become more, shall we say, human without having to deal with the issue of sin. That's it in a nutshell. So the fact that man is the center of the religious humanist world and worldview creates an immediate tension, you can see, with the revealed word of God. Jesus said the great commandment, that is the commandment of overarching importance, is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, not to love man. The first commandment is to love God. And issuing out of that great commandment, Jesus said the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbors yourself. So what the humanist does is replace the first commandment with the second commandment and elevate the second commandment as the only one that makes any difference. So many humanists, though, are not religiously oriented in their humanism, but rather they they embrace humanism as an alternative alternate to a creator god like Julian Huxley. He was the first director of UNESCO, that is, with the UN, stated, we must develop a world religion of evolutionary humanism. Now, isn't that interesting? He said, we must develop a world religion of evolutionary humanism. That was the declared intention to avoid a creator carrying the corresponding religious obligation to obey him. The secular humanist has developed a new faith rooted in a false gospel of evolutionary humanism. Now, I'm trying to avoid a lot of big words here. I want to translate this in a way that uh, most people can understand and walk away from and say, you know what, I think I get it now. Humanism at its root is about elevating humankind, mankind, over God. The ultimate end of humanism is to replace God with man. And in order to do that, God's government has to be rejected, and man's government has to replace it. Now, our founders in America understood that the only way a Republican form of government, a democratic republic such as ours, could sustain itself is if we were under God. But the humanists say, no, uh, we don't need to be under God. We're just under ourselves. It's all about man. It's not about God. So we lose the perspective of Godhood, and man, therefore, moves on his pathway toward becoming 
the very thing he has rejected, and that is God. Think about it. This is the trajectory. So when Monsignor Franco stated yesterday on this program over and over again about the papacy's and the Vatican's focus on humanism and humanity, what he was actually saying is, we have shifted our focus. Now, he's not going to come right out and tell you they shifted their focus from God. He's just going to tell you we've shifted our, we've put our focus and we are putting our focus on man. And therein lies the problem. But why is that? Because if you pander to man, you see, there is within every human being a will to be deceived. If that were not true, there would be no deception, no seduction. But there's something in our makeup that is prone to be seduced, prone to be deceived. If that were not true, Jesus would not have warned us about it. Paul would not have warned us about it. Peter would not have warned us about it. John would not have warned us about it. We wouldn't have any of those things. We wouldn't even have the warnings in the book of Daniel. But we do. And that is because you and I, even though professing Christians, are susceptible to seduction. How does it happen? Why is it that this humanism, which is a socialism, it's not socialism as a, uh, a governmental form or an economic form. It's a manner, a way of looking at people as compared to God. It's a shifting of the focus from God as the creator to man who's going to save himself ultimately. Now, interestingly, the American Humanist Association, which was formed by John Dewey and others in 1933, the Humanist Magazine and the Humanist Manifesto all appeared about the very same time as the natural outflow and supportive infrastructure for Darwinism. Isn't that interesting? And if you look at the principles of the first Humanist Manifesto, they said we believe that the universe was not created, it evolved. And the second principle declared we believe that man was not created, man evolved. And that reduces mankind then, you can understand this, to nothing but an advanced animal with no obligation to restrain his passions or proclivities. And it further replaces the gospel of salvation from sin with a new alternative gospel, that is, the survival of the fittest. Now, it may come as a shock to you to know that the last three popes embraced evolution. Pope Francis, even the more so. There has been a, what should we say, an evolutionary movement within the Vatican and the papacy to increasingly embrace humanism and decreasingly embrace the authority of Scripture, and the overarching rule of God as creator. 
Now, why would the Vatican, why would the popes embrace humanism? Would you be interested to know why? Well, the United Nations has said that the teaching of human of evolution is the most important thing that we can do to prepare for a one world order. The teaching of evolution. Are you beginning to get see how these things link together? Evolution is the very foundation of humanism. It's a false gospel of a new faith. In denying a creator God, man is exalted above the creator and becomes beholden to nobody but himself. In fact, man, in effect, becomes God. And when people acting under their humanistic belligerence toward the very concept of a creator, they collectivize that conviction through democracy. Then they feel empowered to enforce that conviction by whatever means they think is necessary upon the shrinking remnant of true Christian believers who don't share their views. You know what that enforcement begins with? So-called education. You know what it ends with? Extermination. That's why Jesus warned, he that endures to the end shall be saved. He wasn't talking about those who live to the end. He was talking about those who remain faithful to the true gospel of Christ to the end. Now, you can talk about the gospel of Christ, but if you're passing on to the people a very different idea, elevating humankind as equal to or greater than God, and humans' viewpoints over the viewpoint of God as expressed in his word, you've got problems. So now you can understand why many people within the Catholic Church are increasingly frustrated, in fact, are beginning to, shall we say, become disenchanted with Catholicism as they thought they knew it and are seeing how Pope Francis actually is becoming the carrier of perhaps another gospel. This is the reason why he is so able and willing to change the biblical understandings concerning the family, for instance, concerning marriage, concerning divorce, concerning remarriage, concerning homosexuality, concerning transgenderism, all these things. He's changing that. Have you noticed that? He contends that he's not, but he is. He's very subtle about it. And people are noticing. It's amazing. He is passing on a humanist. He's moving the faith once delivered to the saints, i.e. faith in Christ as the only hope for mankind, moving that inexorably toward a man-centered salvation. Not God-centered. So the hope of eternal salvation in Christ for those who by grace through faith repent and obey him is now, for the humanist, superseded by the hope of unfettered selfish pursuit to be a survivor among the masses in a dog-eat-dull world where only the most cunning and crafty are saved. 
until all hope is lost in death. So, should it come as a surprise that John Dewey, one of the leading founders of the American Humanist Society, should be known as the father of American public education? Think about it. That was their goal, to use public education as the means to change the entire viewpoint of this country. And they've done it methodically and even evangelistically, sought to strip from the mind and memory of our students all vestiges of the Christian faith. And since God has no grandchildren, what we're witnessing is a generation of youth throughout the entire Western world who are without hope, worshiping not at the altar of faithful Savior, but at the altar of a fleeting survival. Wow. A new gospel for a new age. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Today on Viewpoint, we're attempting to unfold, unveil one of the massive deceptions of our time that began in the early 1800s. It began just as Darwinism was beginning to move into, shall we say, public thought. It was just before Darwin published his Origin of Species in 1859. But the idea was already moving forward through humanism. So humanism uh, is at root a socialism. It's not socialism in and of itself. Socialism is the economic, governmental uh, shall we say, application of the underlying philosophy of humanism, which we're calling a socialism. And what does that spawn? Well, it spawns utopian offspring. And what do they promise? Salvation to the world by providing an alternative to the second great commandment. What is the second great commandment? Love your neighbors yourself. Jesus said that that commandment was like the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But humanism, now rejecting the Scripture's authority as to the attitudes and actions that enable followers of Christ to love their neighbors, has now invented an alternative, a utopian means to spin 
a thread from the true gospel of Christ into the fabric of new versions of so-called love. Now, what does that look like? Well, those include the economic and political systems of socialism, communism, fascism, humanists. They find it necessary to take a thread of truth from love thy neighbors thyself and spin it into a counterfeit garment of loving yourself that doesn't biblically fit a true Christian believer. That's Freudianism in its multiplied manifestations of popular psychology. So since socialism and communism and fascism and feminism not only seek to define and dictate social order, they also operate as major political and economic systems or viewpoints, which we'd have to reserve for another time. We don't have time to talk about that, but we have talked about that in other programs here on the program. So we're going to take a brief look at... uh, Freudianism, and how it affected popular psychology and actually invaded the church. Uh Uh-huh, it did. It invaded the church. Now, one way we can understand that, that psychology itself invaded the church as a counterfeit way of dealing with man are human problems that are originating in sin. Psychology doesn't want to believe that. Psychology thinks, Freudianism thinks, behaviorism thinks that the problem is just, well, we it's cultural or it's uh, our experiences, it's our upbringing, it's this, that, or the other. It's not sin. So, To give you an illustration of this, you remember a fellow by the name of Dr. Schuller. Dr. Schuller and the Crystal Cathedral? Uh Uh-huh. The Hour of Power broadcast? Yeah, very famous. Dr. Schuller made this statement. It is abuse to tell people that they're sinners. They just need more self esteem. So he, in effect, denied the whole foundation of the gospel, the need for the gospel, the need for salvation, and converted salvation into nothing but a psychoanalytical, psychological, touchy-feely kind of response to mankind's problems, and we'll save ourselves. And it sold. It was very popular. So he seduced millions and millions and millions of people. And his ideas were spread in a dramatic way throughout all of the so-called evangelical community in America and around the world, through two people in particular, Rick Warren and Bill Hybels. They were both discipled by Robert Schuller, Dr. Robert Schuller. He was their mentor. So they were able to present a gospel that could be marketed to the millions across the planet 
and give the illusion that the church is really growing, when in fact the church was absorbing humanism, the spirit of humanism. I hate to put it so bluntly, but this is what's happened. I'm not here to come against and rail upon those two gentlemen. No. In fact, Rick Warren just uh, indicated he's resigning his pastorate yesterday or today. But that's not the point. The point here is that psychology is known as the science of human behavior. It is a pseudoscience. The study of the psyche, the study of the soul. I majored in psychology undergraduate. By the end of my junior year in college, in a Christian university, I discovered that this had no root in truth. It was a pseudo-science, and I did not want to give the rest of my life to promoting and applying a pseudo-science when there was real truth to be dealt with. And so I left. I did not, I got my major, but I didn't per, uh, move on uh, as I had originally planned in the world of psychology. The world of psychology and psychoanalysis is rooted in its seedbed of Freudianism, and they're, in, in a sense, no different. While a medical student, Freud came under the influence of Dr. Ernest Bruch, and Bruch was an evolutionary psychologist committed to Darwin's view of man. Darwin had removed man from the kingdom of God, placing him in the animal kingdom. So Bruch's philosophy of science didn't have any room for the spiritual, for design or creation, for ultimate purposes. All that could be seen or experienced was merely matter in motion, and Freud idolized Bruch. From Bruch, Freud adapted a godless theology of human life and behavior. It was the natural, you could say, the natural progression of Darwinian naturalism. Man had no real, no, no real free will. All his thoughts were determined. Therefore, human behavior had no real moral quality. Now, can you begin to understand what's happened to America's morals? It's not a mystery. When you adopt humanism, every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And I urge you to go to the book of uh, 2 Timothy, and you will read, I think it's in chapter 3 or 4, where it talks about the perilous times. In the last days, perilous times will come. If you go back and you read that carefully and then reread it again, you will find in those half a dozen verses a clear description of what has happened to American society. You'll find a clear description of what has happened to European society, the whole Western world. It's all about self. It's not about God. It's about me. And so we did have, in the 1990s, the knee generation. 
then it metastasized into the me, me, me generation. In fact, so much so that a major billboard in Chicago along the interstate there, the freeway, that's all it said on it. Me, me, me. I couldn't believe my eyes. And this was about 10 years ago. Me, me, me. It's all about me. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy was going to be the characteristic of our time. It's all about the self, not about God. It's not about orienting your life toward God and through that relationship restored with God, then to take on a whole different attitude and action toward your fellow man. No, it's about doing an end run around God, and we can do it ourselves. We're so smart. We can do it ourselves. So psychology comes to man's rescue. Guilt from sin no longer required confession of sin and repentance, but denial and massive injections of self-esteem. Amazing, isn't it? So instead of probing, allowing the Holy Spirit to probe our hearts and convict us of sin and the need for divine surgery, psychology offered the couch or counseling, shifting salvation from forgiveness by God to Christ to forgiveness by one's own self. So maybe you remember this, the bumper sticker back there in the 1980s, I think it was, said, screw guilt. That's what it was all about. So it was a spiritual bait and switch that has infiltrated and taken dominion over the church throughout the whole West, from pulpit to pew, from the liberal to the evangelical, is breathtaking. How did it happen? Why at this unique moment in history? Because, friends, we're at the end of the age. That's why. I want to make available to you my book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. It's an $18 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. We're talking today here on Viewpoint concerning humanism which is a major social-ism. It has come to define the viewpoint of the Western world. 
It came in on little cat feet originally. It uh, was ushered in through the various rivers and uh, rivulets of uh, of thought and universities and colleges, even Christian universities and colleges. And now it has become universally, almost universally accepted throughout not only the Western world, but also the church. And it's interesting that Paul Vitz, who was an associate professor of psychology at at New York University, he wrote a book called Psychology as Religion. Here's what he said. Psychology has become a religion, a secular cult of the self. More specifically, contemporary psychology is a form of secular humanism based on the rejection of God and the worship of self. Now, you will not hear Pope Francis specifically say we're worshiping the self. You won't hear him say that. But what you will hear him say is that he is gradually replacing the authority of Scripture with regard to the issues of our time, particularly with regard to issues related to uh, human behavior, toward sexual behavior, and so on. He is replacing those with a more, what should we say, touchy-feely approach. What has brought that on? The intermixing of secular psychology with the Christian faith, and now it has become the psychology as religion. So psychology in itself is an opposing faith. It, we could say it surreptitiously seeks to deliver a mortal blow to your own Christian faith. So a psychiatrist made this statement. The human relations we now call psychotherapy are, in fact, matters of religion. And we mislabel them as therapeutic at great risk to our spiritual well-being. It's not merely a religion that pretends to be science. It is actually a fake religion that seeks to destroy true religion. And the fruit reveals the root, doesn't it? Psychology is self-centered and man-centered. It exalts your feelings and your emotions over your faith. It declares the lordship of the soul over the spirit. Isn't that why we've had an increasing orgy in America since the 1960s? The divorce rate? Cohabitation increasing well over a thousand percent. Eighty-five percent of black children not living in the home with their father. This is how it's happened, friends. And the last days are selfish. That's why we need to talk about this. It's not just the Roman Catholic Church that's been seduced by these things, or the Vatican the papacy. They have their reasons because that's how you think you're going to win the world. You have to adopt the ways of the world, the thinking of the world to win the world so that you can become the Lord of the world. 
in a new world order. I have in front of me a book called Pope Francis, A Future of Faith, The Path of Change in Politics and Society. This is not a book about Pope Francis. This is a book containing the words of Pope Francis. Uh, several interviews over a period of about a year with Dominique Walton. Here's how it begins. There are individual destinies that intersect with history. This is true of Pope Francis. It is this encounter between one man in history that lies at the heart of our discussions, between a man of the cloth and a French intellectual who has worked for many years on issues of globalism. The idea, he said, is to encourage a reflection on what unites and what separates spirituality and political action. He goes on to say, Pope Francis is perhaps, in real terms, the first pope of globalization. Now, what's that about? It's about uniting the world, friends, under humanism. That's why yesterday on the air, Monsignor Franco continued to talk over and over again about the emphasis on humanity and humanism. Not on God. The question in June of 2016 to Pope Francis was, how can the church contribute to globalization today? What could the church do that the UN isn't doing to promote global peace? Where is God in globalization? Notice, the theme is constantly globalization. It's about the new world order, friends. It's about a religion riding the governmental move of the Great Reset to a new world order. Pope Francis made this statement, the liberal market economy is madness. What's missing? The role of the state as regulator. That's why in my speech for the Charlemagne Prize, I asked Europe to abandon economic liquidity to turn to something concrete, the social market economy. Pope Francis said, In the political utopia, there is a point in common between the rather secular utopia of the European coexistence and the universal dream of the Catholic Church. Dominique Walton made this statement. I want to repeat it and give Pope Francis' answer. In the political utopia, there is a point in common between the rather secular utopia of the European coexistence and the universal dream of the Catholic Church. Could the Catholic Church represent the initiative of a kind of symbolic meeting of everyone? And the Pope responded, yes, it could.
Now, what is the manifestation of this? Well, here is one manifestation. In the closing pages of the book, an address of His Holiness Pope Francis to the participants in the International Peace Conference, Al-Hazar Conference in Cairo, Egypt. April 28, 2017. Here's what he said in his opening statement. In the context of this International Peace Conference, I thank my brother, the Grand Imam, for having planned and organized this conference. May the sun of renewed fraternity in the name of God rise in this sun-drenched land. What is this about? He talks about building the city of man, not the city of God. How in the world can he say with a straight face that a Muslim imam is his brother when in fact the Bible makes it clear that only those who are following the word, the will, and the way of Jesus Christ, of God through Jesus Christ, are our brothers and sisters. It's about humanism, friends, humanity. If he had said he was my friend, or if he said he uh, was a respected person or something like that, that would be different. But no, he didn't call him that. He called him his brother. And he did not use his words lightly. What is the nature of these perilous times? Well, the Apostle Paul told us, men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, high-minded, heady, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. This is not just a matter of the Roman Catholic Church, friends, or the papacy or the Vatican. This is a pervasive problem that has invaded the entire Western world. And through the Western world, Africa and other areas in the, Mid- in the Middle East, in the East, and so on. This is the spread of a seductive idea that is contrary to God and is going to cause massive rebellion in the exaltation of self and man as his own God. And as a result of that, anyone who resists it will be deemed to be an enemy of world peace. That's why Jesus warned. That's why the Apostle Paul warned. That's why the Apostle Peter warned us. And that's why here on this program, We say over and over again, people, get ready. Jesus is coming soon. We'll be coming home. He's not coming home. He's not coming back for a people with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. Have you been seduced? 
For some, the deception remains subtle. For others, it's very substantive. But for everybody, it's sinister. It's defiled our purity, redefined our purpose, and distorted or even destroyed our eternal hope. And the self cannot save itself. Therapy is not a substitute for obedience to God's truth. Feelings do not replace faith. The soul is not the alter ego of your spirit, for we are body, soul, and spirit. And experience will never supersede the eternal word of God that abides forever. Do you believe that? I urge you to get a copy of my book, Seduction of the Saints, Staying Pure in a World of Deception. I think it will open your eyes. It will help open your heart, actually, and reveal things that perhaps you never considered, never thought about. It's an $18 book, yours, for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, or you can uh, call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA. I do not know whether our system here has been destroyed with the attack of lightning, but it appears that perhaps, well, there we go. Praise the Lord, it is not. And so let me encourage you to become a partner with us, friends. These are serious times. And uh, we've dedicated ourselves, I believe, by the direct call of God to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour as a voice first to the church and then declaring vision for the nation of America's greatest crisis hour right here on the near edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ. If you don't have the book Antichrist, how to identify the coming imposter, you need to get hold of that as well. These books will absolutely open your eyes to what is happening. You'll understand it, and you'll be able to get prepared. They're on our website, saveus.org. God bless. And be a blessing. Remember, you're called to be a light in never darkening world. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.